first reading this morning will be from Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Romans 12, 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Some time ago, a post office in a small town installed an automatic stamp machine so that it could eliminate the long waiting lines. That was newsworthy in that small town, so a, a reporter went out and began to interview some of the people that had normally been standing in line but were now able to use the new automated machine. And one older lady was asked how she felt about this new machine. She said, it's all right, I guess, but will it ask me about my rheumatism? And there's no doubt that in this technological world in which we live, the machine age offers us a great deal in terms of time-saving and efficiency, but it does tend to rob us of the personal touch. Who is it that will be there to assure us that we're someone special and that they're really interested in the aches and the pains that we all experience in life? Well, it's not the computer. It's not the disembodied corporation. It's not the factory or the organization where we sometimes feel that we're nothing more than just interchangeable parts in an overall big machine. No, in a time when we're reduced to numbers on a computer screen, we're crying out for someone to recognize us as persons of worth, to acknowledge that we have value, to say that we are important. And I don't mean in any kind of inflationary sense, in any kind of egotistical sense, but to simply reaffirm our humanity and to let us know that we are people of worth. We want assurance that our lives count for something. And if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think that you'll find when those potential disciples were told by the Lord, come and follow me, they wanted their lives to count for something. And it wasn't just how many fish they caught that day. It wasn't how much taxes that they happened to collect, having to do with their, their careers. But it had to do with the efficiency and the, and the power and the significance of following Jesus. The whole concept, though, of a healthy self-image has fallen on hard times primarily because of those who abuse it. Sometimes people want us to feel good about ourselves no matter what we've done. And uh, in fact, I'm told that the segment of our society that scores the highest on self-esteem evaluations are those in our prisons. And so that tells us that the I'm okay, you're okay philosophy has to have some parameters. It has to have some limitations. And those have to be determined by scripture as well as by good common sense. So in all this abuse, let's never lose fact uh, side of the fact that you and I as individual people are someone who are special, someone that God says are individuals of worth to him. And again, we, we have to trust God because God said so, that he has affirmed over, over, and over again in his word that we are people who can, can, can stand for something and can accomplish something that in his eyes is of infinite importance. You can have true worth as determined by God's yardstick, and not just ours. And so if you're going to truly love your neighbor as yourself, as Jesus said we need to do in Matthew 22, 
then that implies that you have to have a proper evaluation of, of what you are truly worth and how you ought to feel about yourselves. We can't love our neighbor as ourselves unless we feel at least reasonably well about ourselves. So contrast that idea that you're someone special as set forth by God's word with current emphases. First of all, look at the superstars. When you open the newspaper or you turn on your television set, you're introduced to the really important people. It doesn't take you long to figure out that these are people of significance. They're the superstars. They're the celebrities. They're the powerful business persons and the politicians, and their names are familiar to all of us. They're men and women who make history. And we understand that it's, it's by strong personalities for good or bad. Men like Abraham Lincoln or Solzhenitsyn or Schweitzer or even Hitler and Bin Laden that history's made. Some of these have had a, a wonderful influence. Some of them have had a horrible influence on mankind. But there's no doubt that history would have been different had those people not lived. Newspapers often speculate along the lines of who will replace so-and-so. When a person of great significance dies or maybe when they step down from their position, and that person may be the leader of a country, that may be simply the CEO of a corporation, but the point is there are some people as we look around in the world that seem to be practically indispensable. We wonder what we'll do without them. Their presence is really felt, but then so is their absence when they disappear from the scene. And yet contrast that with how many of us feel. We feel like if we didn't show up for work tomorrow, we wouldn't be missed. We would be replaced within the week, and that makes us feel insignificant by comparison. Look at the sports page, and even there you'll get the impression that some people just seem seemingly were born special. They're the college athletes that have recruiters swarming around them. Everybody wants them to come and play for their particular school. And you can be in a room with a person like that for two minutes, and you know that they are important people. And then there are the professional athletes who demand and get incredible salaries. And again, we conclude these must be important people. When I turn to the entertainment section, I get the same impression. They're the leading actors and actresses, and everybody else there is just supporting cast. And from the amount of attention and money that these stars receive, again, they have to be someone very special. Somehow these people seem to be different from the rest of us. They are special. They're cut out of a different fabric. They're not like the rest of us, us ordinary people. They live with a level of excitement and a level of importance that most of us will never experience. Now, that's the setup. Here's the application. There is something terribly wrong with that system of values. Whether we're opening our newspaper, turning on our television set, or simply hearing about the impact of someone that have, has been made on our society or even on our world in terms of politics or sports, there's something wrong when people come away feeling that by comparison, I'm a person who has absolutely no significance. And that even in God's eyes, I'm not special. Something is wrong with that value system. I think of all the little boys across the country who have their hearts set on being a professional football player. All the little girls who dream of being a super athlete or maybe a Hollywood actress, but most of those little girls are not going to become sports superstars or Miss America, if that happens to be their goal. Most of those little boys are not going to play college, much less professional football. And so if they're not able to meet their dreams and aspirations, where will they be then in terms of the evaluation of their own worth? You see, if we live by the standards of our culture that dictate to us who is special and who is not, the only result is that we'll wind up very frustrated. Our normal routine, 
will seem dull and uneventful compared to those people in our world who are living important, significant lives. We fall under what we consider to be the curse of just being average. Psychologists tell us that one of life's most severe crises come when we reach the age of 40. That's no surprise. That's about half time for the average American. Somehow we've thought that we would do better, that we would have had a greater impact on the world. And when we began to look back over those last four decades, we wonder why we weren't able to accomplish more. Because after all, when we were in college or maybe before or maybe after, we had all kinds of aspirations about the kinds of successes that we were going to be. Somehow that we thought we would, we would have a greater impact on the world. And suddenly we're faced with the fact that we're only ordinary, that we're average at best. Listen to this. Our frustration may grow out of not what we've actually accomplished, but out of blindly accepting the common view of who's special. And I'm here this morning to contest that idea. There are those who think that having the fastest car or the most stylish furnishes in their home is what will make them special and make them important people. If they miss those prizes, then they're hit with a low self-image. When we hang our self-worth on the possession of power or wealth or talent, we are inevitably doomed to unhappiness because most of us will never have those things in great abundance. Just face the reality of it. Remember Abraham Lincoln's statement about God must have loved ordinary people because he made so many of them. Well, if we base our, our worth on an artificial standard that leaves us angry and, and frustrated and defeated, mark it down. That is a fault system of values. The Bible has a perspective on who the important people are. That's quite different from the one that you get from the newspapers or even from CNN or ESPN for that matter. I want to point you very quickly to a beautiful psalm in the Old Testament. If you want to look, follow along with me, turn to Psalm 139 for a moment. And here's, a, 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 again, a beautiful and a powerful psalm that expresses the feelings of a man who had his sense of self-worth based on faith. It isn't the statement of a superstar, at least not the way we would think of it in our minds, but of a man who saw his own worth in relationship to God. Listen to his words. Again, Psalm 139, the first four verses. Here's what David said. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. In verse 1, we get the impression that David, the psalmist, is saying, God knows everything there is to know about me. He knows me in the morning when I wake up, when I am not at my best. He knows me when I lie down. So he knows me intimately is the impact of verse 1. Then he says, you understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And you're acquainted with, watch this, all my ways, not some of them, but all of them. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Even before I decide what I'm going to say, God already knows what it is that's going to come off, off my lips. But the, the point of this passage is that when David was writing this, we never get the impression that this was a frustrated man. We get the impression of just the opposite. He knew his value did not depend on playing the leading role or being able to alter the course of history, even though David was a man who ultimately did all of those things. But he was special. Now watch this, because God knew him. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you're special for exactly the same reason. God knows you. Take that thought and drop it into the New Testament for just a moment. On more than one occasion, Jesus made some statements that indicates the value that he places on every one of us. 
One of those occasions is found in Luke chapter 12, and specifically verses 6 and 7. It's a passage that most of us as Bible students were very familiar with. And he says, are not, in speaking to his original disciples, he said, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Now, I don't have to tell you that anything that you can buy five of for two pennies is not very valuable, at, le- at least in terms of monetary value, and that was Jesus' whole point. But he said, not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. A sparrow seems practically worthless. And yet, Jesus said, God knows the whereabouts of every sparrow, And he notices it registers in God's mind when even one of them falls. Here's the point of the passage. I believe this is the point of the passage. He's much more concerned about you than he is about a little bird. If he's concerned about the birds and he knows when one of them falls, doesn't he know what's going on in your heart and in your life? And the answer is an unequivocal yes. The whole design of Jesus' statement is to make you see how valuable you are in the eyes of God. And then he goes on to say, even the hairs of your head are numbered. How many hairs are growing from your scalp? I don't think any of us could probably come even close to to guessing the count, but Jesus says God cares so much for you that he keeps a daily account of such a seemingly insignificant matter. Now, whether God really knows or not, I don't know, but I believe Jesus said he did, so I'm going to have to take his word on it. He knows how many hairs are growing out of your scalp right now. The point is, you matter to God. You're special to him. And his judgment of your worth has nothing to do with your financial status. It has nothing to do with how fast you can run 100 meters. And we are not mass-produced on an assembly line. We are individuals, and God knows every one of us by name. Do you know God knows your middle name? He does, no matter how weird it may be. And I've heard some weird middle names, haven't you? But God knows everybody's name. You know, even scientists have pointed out in creation there are no duplicates. Geneticists have determined just how individual we actually are. Human life begins as a tiny speck, combination of the genetic characteristics of two parents, and amazingly, each of those tiny specks is unique and unrepeatable. No two human lives are exactly alike. Even identical twins are not really identical. And imagine if you can the over 7 billion people living on this planet today and no two are alike. We are as unique as a snowflake. And you can add to this all the people who've ever lived before our time. Again, the point is, nature has no copies. There is no mass production. Every one of us is unique. So Lincoln probably was not totally correct when he spoke of God making so many ordinary people. If you really think it through, there aren't any ordinary people. God made us all special. Every one of us is unique. Each person has his own fingerprint, his own DNA, his own features, his own mind, his own own personhood. The power brokers may not know you by name, but the God of heaven does. There's nothing, there's nothing ordinary about you. You're very special. I remember reading a few years ago about a large city that was gripped by fear because three boys had gone into a cave and had not come out, similar to the soccer team, I guess, that we read about some months ago. 
But here three boys walked into a cave, had not come out. Their parents said, here's where they were supposed to be and when they were supposed to be here, and they were gripped by fear. And what happened was that men began to walk off of their jobs to join the search team to look for those little boys. People all over that great city were waiting anxiously for any word of their welfare. It was the primary topic of conversation, as you could imagine. And eventually the boys were found and rescued and people were relieved and everybody was happy and they put ribbons around trees and all the rest. It was the featured story in that little town. In fact, it got some news all the way across our country. People around the world were talking about it. But the question I want to ask is, why all this fuss about three little boys? Some of you can remember back to 1980. Why were we so concerned about 50 fellow Americans that were being held hostage in Iran as compared to the over 300 million of us who weren't? Because something deep within us tells us that every single human life is special. The values of our culture may scorn the ordinary person, but I'm telling you that God's values are quite different than the values of our world. I like the words of T.S. Eliot in this regard. He said, there's something in us, in all of us, which isn't just hereditary, but something unique, something that we have been from eternity, something straight from God. He's right about that. Jesus saw something very special in every life he met. And he sees something special and of worth in you and me as well. As Paul wrote in Romans 5 and verse 8, and this has got to be one of the greatest verses in all the Bible, God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we were worthy. It was while we were still in the hog pen, while we were still in the pits of sin, that God sent his son to die for us. And that's the ultimate proof that we are special in God's eyes. You see, God's evaluation of your worth does not depend on what others think. It does not depend upon the standards of measurement that we often use. And that's my message to you today. So I'm just asking us, we need to use our gift. We need to be recognized by others. William Glasser in his book, Reality Therapy, says every human being who's ever lived has two essential needs, to love and be loved, to feel worthwhile to oneself and to others. And that really is true. It goes a long way for us to talk about what we've been talking about for the last few minutes. And to understand that the Bible says that God looks upon every one of us as special individuals. We are people of worth in the eyes of God. But we also have to, as we pass through this life, recognize that we're people of worth to others as well. We're not just living in God's sight. We're living among other people. So what do those people think about me? And sometimes that's what gets off kilter. It's this recognition that's lacking in a culture where we're evaluated on the basis of our special skills and the command performances that we might be able to do to impress people. I know of no place, listen to me church, I know of no place where our worth is so clearly put in perspective as in the body of Christ, in the church of our Lord. Because God over and over again says, if you're my people, if you're a part of my spiritual body, That within itself makes you special. It makes you someone who is of worth. It gives you great significance. 
In fact, the words that Brandon read a moment ago from Romans chapter 12 seem to have been written to people who had suffered from that same sense of worthlessness that's common to us today. People who felt worthless because their gifts were not as noticeable, not as high profile as that of others. And they were thinking, all I am is just this little whatever, and and, and I'm not important because my gift is not as important or as visible as someone else's. And some of these Christians apparently felt unneeded and unwanted because they were just average. There was nothing special about them. Or at least that's how they were measuring themselves. And they saw gifted people who were indispensable. And this made them feel even more insignificant by comparison. And then that's when Paul wrote the words of our text that Brandon has already read. I commend them to your reading again. Because there Paul is telling us what our true worth in the kingdom of Christ really is. And he talks about seven abilities, seven talents in that passage. And he says every one of them is important in God's working. Not only in God's sight, but also in his kingdom service. Every one of those gifts is absolutely indispensable. And folks, you don't have to be a medical doctor to know how important every part of the body is. You can cut a finger or you can have an ache or pain anywhere in your body. And that reminds you of the fact that the whole body is absolutely vital. Yes, but it was just my little finger, or it was just my little toe that I stumped in the middle of the night. Yes, but my whole body is commiserating with that small member. Every member is vital. And that's Paul's message, not only in Romans chapter 12, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So these words remind us that every member of the body of Christ is gifted. God's standard is not lean toward the superstars. And as you walk through Romans 12, 6 through 8, you'll notice that these are not ranked or prioritized. He doesn't say, let's begin with the most important gifts and work to the least important. No, there's no ranking at all. Every one of them is important and vital in the service of Jesus Christ. God's standard doesn't lean to the superstars. His work is accomplished when every one of us goes about the business of doing all of those little things that need to be done in the kingdom of Christ. We're all important. You are. I am. None of us has been left out of God's plan. No wonder the gospel is called good news. Because whether you realize it or not, that's good news. To know that you are important. You're special. God recognizes that, and he has set up his spiritual kingdom so that he might maximize our potential, whether we happen to be a one-talent or a five-talent person. Watch this carefully. I'm almost through. The only way that we get left out of kingdom service is if we leave ourselves out. I want to say that one more time. The only way you get left out of kingdom service is if you leave yourself out. Because God has a place for you. And of course our gifts differ, but they don't differ in importance. They only differ in function. So God needs those who are gifted in service just as much as he needs those who are gifted in speech. Aren't you impressed with the fact that while our gifts differ, they're all placed on equal level in God's sight? And it was God's way of telling us that every part of his body is is special. I, I know of a little child who refers to a particular woman in the church where he goes as, and I quote now, the lady with a happy smile who makes me feel good. I'm here to tell you that that woman is using her gift. She has the gift of encouragement. And if that's all we can do, 
That's using your gift. I know of other Christians who make others feel special by showing some extra special attention to those people. Such persons are using their gifts. They are important. And yes, you're special to God. But that's not all. You're special to others, too, when you use your gifts to serve humanity. And there's one place where your worth does not depend upon wealth or upon your position or upon your talent. And it's, again, I say, in the church, in the body of Christ, where every member is needed and every person is important. In the early part of the third century, a critic of Christianity criticized the church because, and I'm using his words, they take in anyone who repents, they have no standards. You see, the problem was that that man had the wrong standards. It was God and his people who have the right standard. According to God's standard, each one of us is someone special. We've been talking about something this morning that can change your life. And that's the understanding, the awareness, the recognition that we all are someone special. In fact, you can have a brand new life in Christ. Paul, in writing the second letter to the Corinthians, said in chapter 5, verse 17, if any person is in Christ, he is a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know what? That's a, that's a ray of hope to people who are lost in sin, see no hope for this world or for themselves to know that I can start over again. God can wipe my spiritual slate clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. I can become a brand new creation where everything behind me has been wiped out of God's book of memory and everything is new again. The Bible tells you how. Listen to the words of Paul, then we're through. Romans 6, verse 4, we're buried with him by baptism into his death so that as Christ was raised from the dead, so we also should be raised to walk in, and here it is, newness of life. There's that new life. And if you have not taken the step into that new life this morning, we ask you to do that right now while we stand and while we sing. sin Satan may call the world may entreat me there is no voice that answers within dead to the world to voices that call me living a new 